Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. As always, I'm asking you to dig deep and join us on patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. The link is in the top of the podcast you're about to listen to. It's cheaper than the price of a pint nowadays, but the few quid from you helps keep us independent, ad-free, sponsor-free, and not having to worry about any sort of editorial interference. So think of it as the easiest bit of activism you can do, and you'll be helping to keep a left-leaning progressive podcast going. It really is that simple. We don't exist without your support. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshek. I'll shut up now, I promise. Enjoy the podcast. Heavy attacks now. Heavy attacks on Gaza, on the west, north of Gaza, on beach camp and around it. They attacked a house, five-story house, and we don't know how many people in it. And we're hearing very loud, very loud explosives. We don't know what's going on and what is going to happen. Please, please, cease fire, please. 10,000 people is killed already now. Is that enough or not? How many more have to be killed for the world leaders to intervene? We have a complete darkness. Even if they if they, they bomb a house, we don't see anything. And people will remain under the rubble. Please act now, act now. Every minute people are dying. And maybe you can hear the sound of the planes and the bombs around us. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves. And folks, the note you just heard is from Zach, who was on the podcast earlier in the week. Uh, It's what is happening in real time, 300 meters from his door. Bombs are falling. People are dying. A five-story building has come down. If it wasn't already dark, you can't see because of the dust. And people are screaming for help. And the world seems to be going more and more silent. And I don't mean that by the citizenry. I mean by the people who are supposed to be our leaders. So I'm exasperated by it all. I'm broken by it all. Thank you to everybody who's continued to share the pods and put the, get those voices out there. Zach will hopefully join us in the next day or two if everything is as safe as possible can to, to, to be on that. Um, but right now, I just want to give you a sense of that. So if you can... Um, I don't know red the 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 red crescent give give money there if you can. There's uh, all you know. Uh, there's Oxfam are doing good work in there, but it's just very hard. The other thing is um, we 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 did a bit of an appeal on our own um, to our own listeners this morning. So if you haven't, please listen back to that on Sunday morning's pod. And if you can help out there, that'd be much appreciated. Anyway, um, we have a really important personal story as well that's happening in Gaza uh, by my favourite reporter and the best reporter in Ireland on the immigrant beat. Uh, by Shamim Malakmiam joins us from the Dublin Enquirer. Shamim, thanks so much for taking time out on a bank holiday weekend to speak to these two losers. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Tony? I, well, I, I genuinely am worn out and broken by it, pal, but... Um, You've been continuing to do the great work that you've done on the immigration beat, but you've you've covered a very important story about Abdullah. And if anybody hasn't read it, the link is in this podcast. You can go and read it. But you mean, do you mind giving listeners a bit of a background to it? And we can kind of explain from there what the situation is. 
Yeah, so um, um, with the situation in Gaza at the moment, obviously um, people from all over the world try to kind of kind of come here to live with their loved ones in Ireland um, through the family unification uh, route that there is available. It's quite a difficult kind of process. There are financial requirements to it, but one of the biggest issues there is um, is the time it takes for the Department of Justice to kind of go through these applications and go through the appeals. So clear, um, obviously there were applications from Gazans, you know, at the before the war broke out, basically, and so. Um, uh, my source, Nada Musla, she was trying to kind of bring her husband uh, here uh, nearly two years ago, and they apply in in January um, in January 2022. And what happened? They quickly, actually, after f- about three months, they hear back that this was rejected the visa. So um, she's here with three of her children, um, and. Um, while he's waiting, they put in an appeal and they even write in the appeal application that if he can't get the family unification visa, it just give him a visa to just come in for three months up to 90 days, you know, to see his children, he would go back. Um, but the appeal would take um, nearly 18 months at this stage. And then um, when the war breaks out, basically, their house was bombed. Um, completely destroyed. His shop was bombed, completely destroyed. And basically a news crew um, kept kind of finds them just pacing up and down this like sea of rubble. And he, he says, look, I've lost everything. I've been waiting for a visa to see my children in Ireland, but I couldn't. Now everything I have is lost. And um, the video is there in the article if people want to see it. Um, and the Department of Justice did end up granting this visa um, on a Wednesday that the article ran, ran. But unfortunately, he needs while he was waiting for this application to, to be considered, he his passport expires during this process, and he has no way of getting a passport. And then you'd need a passport to get on a plane or whatever. So he's. Um, so the other option is the travel document and the Department of Justice is telling him that, oh, you need to get yourself physically to an embassy to get a travel document. And he has no way of doing that, you know. And so he's in a situation where he's basically stuck, even though that they end up finally granting the visa, you know. It's um, yet again, we see this situation whereby it's almost like, you know, well, if you can just go to this place where we know you're not allowed to go to, uh, we'll we'll come to some sort of uh, an agreement where we'll get you at least a 90 day thing. Uh, you listeners who are listening to us for a while remember Shamim's brilliant coverage on how this happened um, when Russia invaded Ukraine and how many family members who were happened to be. You know, born in Ireland, but some of them happened to predate the racist referendum, and some of them didn't. And so, and this is the, this is the truth. This is the facts. And the ones that didn't were told, actually, your country of origin may be somewhere in Africa, and not back in in Dublin, where where you've lived all your life. So, Shamim, this is yet again another example of how fucked up our system is. 
And I think the bigger part of it is that um, Israelis do not need a visa to travel to Ireland, you know. So so if it was an Israeli father, he would have been able to come here um, and stay here up to 90 days and see his children or just, you know, seek asylum, you know, if, if he needs the safety of um, being here. Um, so you see that, like, people aren't treated equally, you know, yet again, Um a when it of, comes to visa rules. A lot of very unnecessary red tape, Shamim, but I'll go back even a conflict further to Afghanistan and how the government jet was flown over to take people, Irish people, out of Afghanistan. And, you know, all the stops were put out, pulled out there. There were, as Tony mentioned, more stops were pulled out in Ukraine. We're not pulling out any stops here. It's all red tape. And it's good that you mentioned Afghanistan because like people were supposed to be able to come here, people who had family here in Afghanistan. And then we saw that how difficult it was, the conditions, how difficult the conditions was for Afghan people here to apply to bring them under a, a scheme that's supposed to be humanitarian, you know. Um, so it was basically mostly open to wealthy Afghans and that and then. With the processing delays, like it's like sometimes years and years of living under the Taliban, you know. And and, and, and sorry, go ahead, people, Martin. There are people in Palestine. I mean, it doesn't feel any different if you're a Palestinian with the Israeli army invading, as it did for Afghan people with the 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 Taliban army invading. It doesn't feel any different to them. I mean, it's the same kind of thing, same as the Ukrainians with the Russian army invading. It's, they feel the same. The people feel the same. It's our reaction is different. Yeah, like nobody kind of said, maybe all of the European leaders, nobody suggested to let's look at activating the temporary protection directive, you know, for Ukrainians. Can, can, uh, I, can, we, co- can we narrow that down? Because this is really important. You've been brilliant reporting this, but I don't think people get this. You've been fantastic at highlighting the two-tier nature of our our system we've seen it now in the last few days where they've decided um but by, by the way i want to just sorry slight digression they're now saying all the far right lads are going saying well the government now saying that ireland is full where we want to ignore dereliction we want to ignore vacancy we want to ignore airbnb we want to ignore all of the things that we know where we can accommodate people nonetheless putting that to one side shamim you've been highlighting the two-tier system in this but we've also seen it because you covered it um, with people who took the case against the state and won. A teenager won his case, um, and we know. So, can we just talk about those that double standard and why they didn't? Why these cases you feel are very different in in the state in the gov- Irish government's eyes? That why the Irish government sees people differently. Well, I, I wouldn't ask you to speculate on that because you're a journalist and I don't want you to get in trouble for saying these things. But what I would ask you to comment on is how is it there's there's a treatment for two countries that are both under attack. One is one is not neither are EU members and both actually if you fly from Dublin to Kiev or you fly from Dublin to Gaza, it's the same pretty much distance. There's not much difference in it, like, you know. I think as like you pointed out, it's mostly do with political allyship of the countries involved and you know when they see some countries more politically aligned to themselves and um the rest of the world i think what i like to kind of this is my personal opinion what i see is um lack of seeing people different from their governments you know um and like people being punished 
for the um for for actions of their government and it's like um and it's dangerous you know when when heads of a state see people similar as their um governments essentially you're kind of pushing those harmful stereotypes and we saw in gaza people are saying oh there's no difference between hamas and any palestinian you know and then you're essentially saying that every gazan is an islamic extremist and this is a dangerous trope that you know people are spreading in lines and that's you know particular to our own history as well tony you know anybody who was a republican or a nationalist anybody had anybody an irish accent in in certain parts of the uk martin yeah yeah was seen as a terrorist you know and it was everybody was just lumped in together and we know it was wrong then and it's wrong now can i flip that on its head for a moment and say also in the south anybody who had a nordy accent was immediately assumed to be some sort of terrorist sympathizer as well you know we've seen that for years anybody who came down oh you know don't mind them ones but but shamim just Back to Abdullah, what are there any other avenues available? Because it seems to me, and you know, I know you work with a lot of uh, human rights lawyers who try to do family reunification. Are there any sort of other avenues, or are we at the, are we now at a stalemate where it's literally bureaucracy has trapped this this man? So the problem is, like, let's say if the, if the um, they kind of get um, a travel document to him without him being present at an embassy. The problem is um, it requires cooperation from the Egyptian authorities as well to kind of let people get out because, and he doesn't have a dual nationality. I think people who didn't have dual nationalities are struggling to get out. And I think Stephen Kervin was telling me there are a number of like people in the same situation and I think I'm trying to I'll try at least to get their data from the Department of Justice but um so it you see the situation he's a stuck in but he wouldn't have been in the situation if he had been granted his visa on time in a timely manner yeah. and he would have gotten here you know and we don't know like <laughs> and we don't know what the decision would have been but at least if he had gotten this decision you know, well, at least if he'd gotten the opportunity to, to have his his case heard, he wouldn't be under bombardment. And as as I alluded to at the very beginning of this podcast, we don't know what's happening in Gaza right now, how bad things are. And, you know, and I mentioned Zach, Zach has four sons, all born in Dublin, all born in Dublin. There's no cavalry coming. There's no, there's no, Martin, you said the, the, the government yet, there's no government yet coming. And, I, and neither of you have mentioned Syria. Ireland pledged to take in 5,000 Syrians when the conflict started in Syria in the first year. By year three, we'd got to nearly 1,500 people. So Ireland is great at standing ready to one time do something, to do something in the near future eventually, and then stand ready for that as well. Um, we have done really well, I will say per head of population with the Ukrainian situation, there's no doubt we've brought in a lot of Ukrainians and that's that's laudable. But like that, we have to question why is there a difference in our government's reaction, uh, especially when you see, I would say, 20,000 people a couple of weeks go on the street to, to protest to, to in support of the people in Gaza and Palestine and thousands at this weekend. So it's it's literally, you know, it it is, it is a really thing. Shamim, again... People need to find your work at the Dublin Enquirer and tell them they have to subscribe and pay for it, will you? Yeah, please do. <laughs> now, you're only a small team that works 
tirelessly. Yeah. Oh, and one other plug. Shamim now has Fingal on her on her brief. So if there's no, I mean you have, and you're working on. Yeah, on, I do. Yeah. So so she's she's a lot on her plate, but you can find her on social media. You'll regularly hear her here, which I'm delighted that. But but please support the Dublin Enquirer and make sure if you're if if you're looking at this type of coverage. You know, when Shamim said about, you know, hope you'll get that information, I'd say half your life is stuck doing FOIs and working with the departments to try and get the information to get it out there. Oh, my God, you don't even give me started. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Freedom of information is a minefield. It just is. It just... We, we, we could, we'll do a separate podcast on it one day, Shamil. We'll, it is so frustrating, yeah. And, and, and Ken Fox says it's getting worse. And if Ken Fox get, says it's getting worse, you know it's really screwed, you know. Um, he, he, he puts up, if anybody's not familiar with Ken, he puts up once a month his uh, how-to guide on, on, on Twitter of how to start an FOI. So he, he's responsible for about 75% of people who harass uh, and try and get these FOIs done. Um, look, we don't want to... Obviously... You know, again, as as we go, I want to go on and talk a little bit about what's happened over the last few days. But I think it's really important to point out a couple of things that that I've been in touch with people, and one of the most pushing. Um, I got a text message this morning uh, from uh, Mahmoud Mustaha, who you've heard on the podcast several times, but he hasn't been able to get in touch with us for days at a time, days and days at a time. He had to flee his home. His home was, was, was bombed. He went to a safe area. And I, when I say a safe area, I mean an actual um, school. The school was bombed. Then they evacuated to another place that they were told was going to be a safe area. And he sent me a picture of the front of that now. And there's no front of it left. That was this morning. But he said one thing. Please don't stop talking about us. And that really struck. It's just a simple sentence because they're so afraid that as things go dark and people's minds move on and it's, you know, oh, is that still going on? We know we see it now with Ukraine. We see it in so many conflicts that people just get on with, the, you know, get on with things. It's it's like me. My eyes roll over when Martin starts about bogus self-employment, Martin. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think... I think there's, across the world, except with maybe the exception of America, there has been a huge pushback from grassroots from people. We saw it in London, we saw it in Dublin, we saw it all over Europe, where we're not seeing it and we're not seeing that narrative is in the US, where they're just arresting people, um, which is just crazy. That's meant to be the bastion of free speech in the world and it is worse than any other country out there. And just yesterday, a Liverpool supporter was arrested at a match mm. for wearing a Palestinian jersey. Now, during the World Cup, there was huge consternation about LGBTQI plus flags being flown uh, at, at the World Cup and how how absolutely draconian uh, the country that was hosting was for not allowing this. Yet here we have the UK... In the UK, a person wearing a flag on a hoodie removed from a football stadium. I mean, this is the West letting itself down hugely, utterly hugely letting itself down. There was an interesting thing that happened, and it was in the UN vote the other the other night, where they wanted to have a vote to call for an immediate ceasefire, um, immediate ceasefire but I think they, they didn't call it a ceasefire it was one of these you know um, a pause because we couldn't have the balls to actually use the word ceasefire but they wanted an immediate reinstatement of electricity and water to Gaza um, America and Canada who, who 
got together and put in an amendment and said, let's just let's make this turn this into a condemnation of Hamas, um, which was, you know, with, but that vote actually didn't pass in terms of the condemnation part to, to, to add that to the resolution. And then the resolution to reinstate electricity uh, and and water did pass while it was actually being voted on. All of the networks were taken down in 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 Israel in Gaza. Sorry, all of them were taken down. All communications networks, all telephones, all of that. And it and that's when the the as barbaric as it's been already. That's when the real bombardment started. You'd be a fool to think that these things are not related. And it shows the the weakness in in, in sovereign states to actually hold others to account, especially when, as you say, Martin. The U.S. continues to exercise its veto because that resolution that the U.N. passed is non-binding. And if it goes to, to a vote, the U.S. gets to, to veto it whenever they want. Um, I, I will say one other thing just for social media users on Twitter and all the rest of it, and I want to make this very clear. There are a lot of accounts that are attaching itself to the Palestinian cause at the moment that are fucking just anti-Semitic, Okay. There's a lot of them that are just opportunistic um, fans of Palestine. So be careful who you're sharing and who you're actually promoting because these are just people taking advantage of this. And Shamim, you've covered this. These are We see this with the far right in, in Ireland, how they will stand beside you when you have an issue in your area and then ask you to join their bigoted cause. Yeah, and I see that, unfortunately, like accounts that are associated with Iran's government. I see that people constantly retweeting them and it's not great. It's 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 not even that great. It's it's just like lads, do just before you hit that that retweet button, have a look at the profile, have a have a quick look. It's just a short scan, and you will see this isn't an ally of yours. Actually, what is, their genesis, the genesis of what they're doing is not to say that they're on your side on this. They just hate Jewish people, a lot of them, you know, and yeah. and and it's kind of obvious, and 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 we've no time for it. I've no time for it. Um, and it's just you know, so just be careful. I I I, I worry about people were well and well meaning, well intentioned, but just pause over that retweet button with your thumb, uh, or in what Martin's case, uh, with your three fingers that it takes to, <laughs> to do it. <laughs> but but just pause briefly. Um, look, there's there's a lot going on. We're going to be continuing to cover events this week. But it's really important that you guys actually put your hands in your pocket and subscribe to Dublin Inquirer. Brilliant work by Shamim. Brilliant work on housing all the time and some of the best local issues that you can cover. So please do do that. Um, Martin, uh, can I just ask you one quick question before before we go? Uh-huh. Uh, we spoke briefly about the Carson case this week. There is... People don't understand because in the Sunday papers, they didn't get the gist of it. Sure they didn't? No. No, 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 no. They... A lot of client journalism going on. Now, now, now. No, no, I'm being honest, and I will say this. Client journalism going on for the revenue commissioners. The revenue commissioners are caught by the absolute nuts for breaking the law for over 30 years. Until somebody prints that, they'll continue to do so. Well, uh, um, just before we get in trouble with anyone, uh, factually, the the phrase that the revenue used at the time was that was uh, they they did this sort of deal because certain industries were recalcitrant when it came to paying. Uh, actually, you're you're quoting the wrong person. You're you're. Oh, I, I, I'm, tr- I'm I'm quoting the um, controller. Controller. Oh, and the, the gen- gen- see, Shamim, this is how long he has me doing this now. 
I, the Comptroller and Auditor General knew in 2002 it's true. that the Department of Social Welfare and Revenue were acting outside of the law to deliberately misclassify all delivery drivers as self-employed, knowing that within that cohort, the vast majority were employees. It was a... Uh, illegal state aid uh, to a golden circle of selected employers given to them in the Burlington Hotel in 1997 in a meeting between the revenue commissioners and industry employer representatives, which was an accountancy firm headed up by a former revenue commissioner. Bing! There we go. That's it. We'll, we'll look. Uh, uh, and his next uh, his next film is going to be a Bond, a Bond movie. About- <laughs> you just know. I mean, I know this stuff. Encyclopedic yeah, but, but, knowledge but it, it, it will be a boring casino royale where they're just yeah, sitting look, around when, they have to, when when the government has to pay back hundreds of thousands of workers the money they've lost and their PRSI pension benefits which they're being screwed out of that, right now the bill Tony is hundreds of billions and fuck them for stealing off people and I mean it fuck them for well, stealing no, I, I will say that's the most pertinent thing that, that still doesn't get called out we keep getting told we've a pensions time bomb we don't we have a failure to collect correct levels of PRS employers employers PRSI exactly. there is no Look, pensions no. time bomb well there wouldn't be if we if we were if we were playing if there was a level playing field. Look, we leave it there. Hope to speak to um, several people in the in the next few days. We, we we're hoping that the the the, the lines are now the lines of communication are a bit more open than they were yesterday. So uh, we'll keep you in the loop. Thanks so much, Shamim, and um, just oh, yeah, what, thanks, Shamim. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and you do great work. And I'm glad that you're out in Fingal. Wonderful, glad you're out here. <laughs> I, one last point: Martin's been late for the podcast two days in a row, and he doesn't want that. <laughs> One day, like three minutes. <laughs> it's, I hate unreliability. Go on. Talk to you soon, folks. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Subscribe now on Patreon.